Good morning, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. It's a different version I like that says, uh, Now the earth was total chaos. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And as a church, we're going through the book of Genesis. Wednesday, we talked about Genesis 1 and the image of God. Today, we're going to talk about sort of, it's going to be the idea of the beginning and how the creation story in Genesis, does it contradict or does it mesh well with uh, modern scientific thought? Uh, And in Genesis 1, the scripture says that the the earth was formless and void. It's, it's basically the word is it's disorder, it's chaos. It's just, just totally chaos. And um, then God comes in and he begins his good work, bringing order out of chaos. And the hallmark of God's activity is order. It's not chaos. The hallmark of God's good work is structure. And it's bringing something that is chaotic and destructive and harmful without boundaries, without proper appropriate boundaries and bringing that thing to have proper boundaries, a proper perspective, an appropriate perspective and be able to actually live out that life to the full that we all hear about so much and that Julie mentioned earlier in her testimony. But this is a really radical chapter of the Bible. It's probably one of the most popular books of the Bible, the most well-read parts of the Bible. People usually start a book in the beginning before they read to Leviticus and lose heart. Um, but they always start here. Like, I think I've started to read the Bible. I've read this part a ton, and then I just can't, you know, you get, it's the, that, that last leg. That's the hard part, getting through the, uh, the, uh, the law there in the, the, the latter parts of the Pentateuch and then later on in the Old Testament. But as God brings order and structure to Genesis, and he brings all these good things into the world, as he creates all these wonderful, beautiful, good works. Uh, We're not going to reread it. uh, But what God does is he creates. He begins to set up bringing order to the world in some distinct phases. I'm going to run through this and I I, this in nowhere. In no way am I going to provide the justice that this chapter deserves. We're going to split it over three times. We did the first one Wednesday. Today's part two. And then this Wednesday's part three. Um, And so we'll have three different events, three different sermons on Genesis 1. Uh, Those are all on the podcast, Blue Ridge Church of Christ, if you missed them. But the title of my lesson today is Shall We Begin? And the idea of beginning. God separates each day in different phases. God begins day one. You're not going to read all of it, but God begins day one by creating light. And then in day four, he separates the lights, the luminaries, by creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. I wish I could talk an entire... If you have questions about this, let's talk later. But notice, God creates light before he creates the sun. Pretty awesome. So 
It's probably because maybe the source of light is not actually the sun. But God actually creates light before he divides the light into its proper spheres. And last Wednesday, we talked all about how the world does not have proper boundaries. And in our natural state, we can just want to cross all those boundaries, whether it be relationships, whether it be uh, uh, money, sex, you name it. Those boundaries are crossed. God in Genesis 1 brings order and structure to the world. Then he, a a nice small uh, side note about this is that in the original language, uh, the author of Genesis, uh, Moses, Moses does not actually use the name for sun, moon, and stars. He uses kind of a, a, a synonym for them because there was a popular religion, a Babylonian uh, mythology uh, called the Enuma Elish, and it has a creation story. And in that story, the gods, the supreme gods, are the sun, moon, and stars. And so right away, the author of Genesis is saying, you know what? God didn't create other gods. Every other religion in this time was polytheistic. Those aren't gods. Those are materials. And our God, Yahweh, created them. So right away, Genesis is taking an adversarial stance against the world's perspective. Right away. that This is going to be different than what you think you know, which is pretty awesome. Day two, he creates the sky or the heavens. Then he separates that, right? Birds and fish. Day three, he creates land and plants. Then he separates it into animals and man. And then the beautiful culmination in that, in that day seven, that number of completion seven is the Sabbath. And so in the book, in the chapter of Genesis, Genesis one is an incredibly different uh, chapter. It's, it's poetic, but it's not poetry. It's ordered, but it's not boring. It's, it's, it's profound, it's theological, but it's also ethical. And it brings us, well, it's not just something we should know, but it actually preaches to us about our behavior. And this is an incredibly beautiful, it's a unique chapter. There were a lot of mythologies, and the world says that this is just another mythology. But Genesis 1 is just another, you can pick them, right? Uh, Hindus have a mythology. Uh, the Babylonian uh, Enuma Elish has a mythology. The Norse gods have a mythology. The Greek gods. And you know what? The Genesis 1 is just like all of those, is what the world says. And that's what a lot of people, even going especially to a secular school, like the University of Virginia, a very secular school, even when you go through a religion course, you're taught right off the bat. It's just some mythology. It's the first word they say. Look at the mythology. Right. But then they like using words like destiny and mother nature. Like, who are you talking about? Who's destiny? Oh, it's uh, mother nature did it. Uh, so, you know, we live in a secular world that doesn't want to call God his name. We'd rather call him mother nature or destiny or fate or chance or whatever. But then it's a mythology. And so we have to, we have to first admit that all of us are reading the Bible with some different tinted glasses. We all have different... Uh, 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 you know, preconceived notions about what we are reading. But I want to encourage all of us. Genesis 1 is perfectly beautiful in and of itself. It's this unique chapter. And let it, let it speak to you in, in and of itself and what it says. And try to eliminate all the things that the world says about this. It's amazing how many times, I don't know if, if any of you have done this, I would encourage you to do it. Go to Grounds, go to the University of Virginia, go to James Madison University, and just talk to the students. Say, hey, I'm actually just going around inviting people to this awesome church I go to. I wanted to ask you if you, if you have any kind of faith uh, and what that looks like. And a lot of students will say no, or you can't really know. And you'll ask them, have you read the Bible? And they'll say, well, kind of. And you'll say, well, what does that mean? And they say, well, I took a class. And you'll say, okay, what did the class say? And they'll say, well, one or two things from this class I took now informs my entire worldview for the rest of my life that there's no God. But a lot of people, a lot of them have actually not read the Bible. They just take a class person with a couple letters after his or her name tells them what to believe. But I want to encourage you, don't let the world tell you what to believe. Come to your own conclusions. 
And the beautiful aspect of Genesis 1 is complete perfection. The number of seven. To a Jew, numbers are very important, even to this day. All of your names have a numerical value in Hebrew. So to this day, a Jewish grandmother will write a check for her grandson on his birthday with probably the numerical value of his name or the numerical value of Lahayim, which is the word for life. Because Jews believe that numbers have value. And so in the Bible, numbers are not, sometimes not literal, but they have value. They have a, they're trying to say something else. And here in Genesis chapter 1, we have the number 7 beautifully composed. Number, the number 7, God is mentioned 35 times in this chapter. Divisible by 7. Earth is mentioned 21 times in this chapter. Heaven is mentioned 21 times in this chapter. And God saw that it was good, or it was so, is mentioned 7 times. It's beautiful. So the whole chapter is trying to say something. That this is perfect, it's complete, it's everything that we need and more. You know, this, this, this isn't just a, a text in a, in a vacuum. It's, it's trying to say things about the, the world around it. This was written, uh, we don't really know for sure, somewhere between 1400 and 1000 BCE, right? And so this is actually the most, they'll teach you this if you take any kind of uh, religion course. They'll teach you that Genesis 1 was taken from the Enuma Elish, which is a Babylonian mythology. But one of the interesting things about every mythology, you re- I was going to show a bunch of pictures, but I'm just going to tell you, but you guys have a good sense, I think. Every mythology is pretty much the same. A long, long time ago, there was this God, and he had this other God who was probably his wife, and then she cheated on him. So he got mad, and she represents the moon, and he's the earth. So he killed her, and that's why the moon has to stay in the sky. She's banished for forever because she loved her husband, and his body became North America, and then we're on his back. And now we have to sacrifice, because if we don't sacrifice to the God of the earth, he will get mad, and they still fight to this day. That's why the tides are so up and down, and the moon, and, and that, that, that's of normal, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, some kind of mythology, right? But everything does it. The Norse gods do it. Thor, Loki, all them. The Greek gods do it. Zeus. Uh, Athena, all them do it. Hindu, Hinduism is, all, all those gods don't actually look any different than you or I. Man was made, or God, those gods were made in man's image. They look like us. They cheat on each other. They lie, they break, they steal. They, we have something very different here in Genesis 1. We don't have a long, long time ago, some fuzzy time. It's in the beginning. The first word of the book is hitting us in the face. There was a beginning. It wasn't just some fuzzy time, I don't know all the details, but you know, there was a beginning. There was a time when it all began. In one word, Hebrew it's Rashit, in one word, it's the name of the book actually, is the beginning. He's, they're trying to say something. We don't, have a, we don't have some capricious deity who's like changing his mind every day. Today I want to sacrifice a fish, and tomorrow I want to sacrifice a wood, and I'm going to punish you, and now I'm going to punish them, and now I don't like them, and... We don't have that. We have a God who is good. And all those other mythologies, man is created by accident or man's created as a slave to serve the gods. Man is created here because mankind is good. Male and female are good. This earth is good. The things God's given us are good. It's different. There's a different kind of hope here. Something that, we can, that inspires us just in Genesis 1. It's not the hopeless murder. This is actually a picture from the Enuma Elish kind of depicting what goes on there. All that occurs. But the Bible, and guess what? We, you might be saying, well, Drew, that's all well and good, but we don't live in a world of polytheism anymore. But yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah. 
We all worship the God of television or the God of sports or the God of sex or the God of academia or the God of friendship or the God of independence, the new favorite amongst millennials. The God of, you name it, we got our gods and we go worship to them and we go pay the Comcast bill. We sacrifice the, com- the money at the altar of Comcast and we, we give it to them and they raise the price, but it's worth it because we got the channels and we will sacrifice. Honey, don't change the package. We must sacrifice to the God of Comcast. We still have polytheism to this day. We just, we worship it differently. Okay. And those are where our priorities go. And God gets lumped in there, lumped in there somewhere along the way. But in the beginning, God created the universe. Well, what does that mean for us today? My one point today is illuminated lives. We have to live illuminated lives. Blaise Pascal said, if there is a God and I don't investigate, I have everything to lose. If there is not a God, I have nothing to lose. Basically, investigate. Who cares whether there is or isn't? Start by asking the question of, is there a God? Investigate. Check it out yourself. Don't be on either side of the spectrum. Don't be a slave to the world. Oh, my classmates believe this, or my school says this. So I'm gonna, or even some, just as bad as my Christian family wants me to do this. So I'm going to do it just to go along with mom or dad. I'm just going to go along with... We just go along. We don't actually investigate and come to our own conclusions. But I want to encourage us all to investigate. One of the incredible things about Genesis 1, the world of academia loves to take things from the Bible. Have you ever heard people do this? They say, I can't believe in God because of this one thing in the Bible. It just ruins everything. Like, because of that, it just seems like God's misogynistic. So therefore... I will just never try to investigate. And you're like, but have you read the passage? I haven't read the passage, but it seems like maybe he could be a womanizer. Therefore, I won't. Have you studied it out? No, I haven't studied it out. But people pick that one thing. But the, the world, and then what's great is over time, actually, as a, it's kind of like, it's called um, progressive revelation. But it's this idea that as the sun rises, we, more and more can, we can see. And more and more of the Bible makes sense throughout history. Okay, God actually doesn't move. We, in fact, are the ones who move. Uh, and the Big Bang is one of those things. So for a long time, up until the 20th century, scientists said that all matter was eternal. Basically, Genesis 1, wrong, no beginning, eternity. Well, in the early 20th century, scientists noticed something in the Doppler effect called a red shift at the edge of the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, the stars that were moving toward the edge of space were moving the fastest, which is what happens in an explosion. Now, in an explosion on Earth, the matter is actually propelled through space. But this matter, they actually saw as different. It's an explosion, but not propelling anything, but actually expanding what was already inside of it. So they realized that there's overwhelming evidence for an explosion, a, be- a beginning. And that beginning, they traced it back to a point, a point where there was a, what's called a singularity, but it's where everything in the universe was contained, kind of like Orion's belt in Men in Black. Remember that? It Orion's belt on the cat's neck. Um, like it's all in Orion's belt. Well, there you go. Uh, it's an old movie, you know, 90s, I don't know. But, um, but all of the universe was contained in that, in that singularity. And at the, and the, at the big explosion to begin time, all of that, actually, which is 100, time, 100 million times smaller than a period at the end of a sentence, if you're reading that's the singularity where all of the universe was contained and then it exploded and it's still expanding, which is the thing. It's still expanding, which is why we believe that the universe began this way. 
This is a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago. For almost 2,000 years, people were like, yeah, it's eternal. It matters eternal. It's Plato, really. Everyone's going, oh, Bible's wrong, Bible's wrong, Bible's wrong. Now, recently they go, okay, there was a beginning. But, but it was random. And it was by mere chance. That's the new thing now. So I love the story of uh, Isaac Newton. Uh, you guys probably heard of him. Isaac Newton had built this model of the universe, and he had put it together, this, this golden orb um, as, as the sun. And he built this rod with gears uh, to be able to turn the, uh, the universe. And he had these other orbs that he painted as the Mercury and Venus and Earth and things. He created this great contraption. And he had a friend come over who uh, did not believe in the biblical account of creation. And the friend came over and said, that is awesome. Who made that? And Isaac Newton says, no one. And the guy goes, no one? Someone had to make it. Who made it? He goes, no, by mere chance, all those gears, those rods, those, those orbs just happened to come together. And just by just bounced around and connected in that perfect, beautiful balance. It's just random, man. And the guy got the point. But basically, somebody had to build it. That was his first question. Wow, beautiful. Who made it? And Isaac Newton says, dude, this, you're basically saying you don't believe anybody did. But the ridic- that's the ridiculous nature of that. It's something we're still trying to grapple with. You know, what's great about the singularity and the, the Big Bang is that b- before that, and this, this is an idea that actually meshes well with the Bible, that science and Bible are not mutually exclusive. A lot of times you think, oh, atheists, they must be really scientific and smart. And Christian, they, maybe they're, they're dumb or something. I don't know they believe in that weird Genesis 1 stuff. But science is actually catching up with the Bible. And as we discover the Big Bang, not in the last century, people go, oh, that makes sense. There was a beginning. But before the singularity, you know, it's incredible. There was no space or time. That space-time was actually in that moment of, of, of explosion, of expansion. Okay? And that means before the singularity, there was no time. There was no space. That God is outside of space and time. It has to get, whoa, it has to get incredible. How do we believe all this? Another aspect, I just want to go quickly here, is the idea of... Uh, DNA. Scientists are like, how is DNA this beautiful, incredible, uh, uh, crucial aspect of life? How has it evolved? How did it evolve? And so uh, scientists kind of say, well, it it would actually, it's so detailed. It would take about 500 million years, or actually a billion, 500, is it a billion or a million? I can't remember. It's a lot though. 500 million years, I'll get back to you on that, for that thing to evolve by mere chance which is the same amount of time it would take a blind person to solve a Rubik's Cube without any help. Wow. Blind person or me, basically, to solve a Rubik's Cube <laughs> without any help. But what's great about that is that uh, I got this from, uh, from, from a book. Was, the book was saying it's not just that the time, and we're still, we're still grappling with all this, okay? Our mind is not God's mind. We're still trying to figure this out. But what's beautiful about this is that scientists say, well, it takes this much, 500 million years, but actually God actually worked within a time frame here in the beginning. That God actually worked through time and worked with time. What does this have to do with us? What's the point? Is it just kind of really cool stuff? But we got to bring it to the here and now or else it's all for naught, right? Colossians 1.18 says, and he is the head of the body. He is the beginning. He is the rashit and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Does God, and here's the beautiful thing. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Genesis 1.26 says, let us make him in our, let us make man in our own image. Yeah. Well, who's our? Okay. Well, I believe that Christ was there with God in the beginning. But if God is the beginning, if God is before space and time, if God is all powerful, 
Is he the supreme ruler of your life? Who are you, to whom are you sacrificing your time to, your love, your affection, your money? What you, like Julie shared about all these things in her life that she was giving to that just didn't work. And God had to tear those things down to help her see it's Jesus. That's the only way is Jesus. But does he have supremacy? Does, is Jesus supreme in your life? And the question for you is, who is supreme in your life? Who is it? Is it a boyfriend? Is it a girlfriend? Is it your job? Is it your kid and their sporting events and their schoolwork and their grades? Is it a friendship? What are these things that are supreme in your life? Hebrews 1 says the same thing. The sun, I love this. Remember what God created on the first day? God created radiance. He created light. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You might go, well, Drew, how do I do this? How do I make Jesus supreme? Go to his powerful word. Go to his scriptures. How are you quiet? I know it sounds basic. How can it come down to that? Well, it does. Jesus chose, or God chose to begin the world by speaking with words. God, we reach each other with words. We say, I love you. We say, I care about you. I'm here for you. We reach each other with words. And so we got to go to his word. I want to close out with this. Just as before the earth, before God, before the beginning, the earth was total chaos. Before God began his good work. It's the same with us. We are all chaotic. We are all formless and void. We are empty in a wasteland before God begins his good work on us. And no matter how we try to make it look good aesthetically from the outside, we feel just like Julie did. I I can't have kids. If I have kids, what am I really passing on? To a place where you're excited to have kids because you want want them to know Jesus. Can you imagine? But God began his good work in her like he's already begun good work in you or he will begin good work in you if you allow Jesus to be the supremacy. Ephesians 5, 8 says, for you were once darkness. How cool is that? Before light, before the luminary. But now you are light in the Lord. These are people who've already repented and been baptized. Live as children of light for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. I love that. You have homework. I'm not just going to tell you, tell me, Pastor Boy, what do I got to do? No, go figure it out. Find out what pleases him. And perhaps Klein's, oh, finish finish the verse. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything is exposed by by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Since Genesis 1, the purpose was... For you and I, we were built, we were made in God's own image. But how can we really, if we're God's image, why have we failed? Well, we've gone back. We've, got, we've regressed. We've, got, we've fallen. We're a fallen world. We need, some, we, need, we need an image. We need something to strive for. And perhaps Kleins said it best when he said, in Christ, man sees what manhood ought to be. We might just say personhood. Manhood just means mankind. In Christ, man sees what humanity was meant to be. Humans are the image of Christ so far as they are like Christ. This is how man, the image of God, who is already man, already the image of God, can become fully man, fully the image of God. We're going to close out right now and we're going to go to an awesome, beautiful, miraculous ceremony where Kathy Jeffers has decided to no longer live in darkness, but to live in the light to die to her former way of life and to live for truth, to make Christ the supreme being, 
to say to the Enuma Elish, to say to the polytheists out there praising their, their materialistic uh, uh, gods, their idols, I will not be like this. And through her actions, through her life, through her faith, she will be a luminary. She will be not like the sun and moon and stars are thought to be gods. No, we will actually all be images of Christ on earth. Let's go ahead and say a prayer and we'll have one final song.